Um, I'm really pleased today to be talking with um, Omid Tukafin from Sydney. Omid is a philosopher, actually of classical Greek philosophy, which is itself fascinating, a political theorist, a translator, a community and transnational activist who works on migration and refugees. Omid is the translator and collaborator with Davos Bouchani's um, for his extraordinary account of the Australian detention um, regime, particularly on Manus Island, No Friend But the Mountains, which was published in Australia in 2017 and in the UK and in the US um, last year in 2019. The book is a major piece of writing, a major piece of literary writing and a major piece of political theory, which I think, like all writing, the best writing that comes from the extremes of political life, invents new generic and creative forms to produce new types of knowledge. Um, it's a kind of writing and thinking that challenges us at a, an extreme imaginative and creative as well as political, moral and ethical um, level. Um, I mean, I wanted to start with that book. Um, um, it, the book describes the detention regime on Manus as being like um, 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 a, a hierarchical system. Can you explain what you mean by that term and how that works? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Lindsay. It's, it's great to be here and uh, I've been following your work for a while. So this issue, this, this, this theme, this concept of hierarchy, I think is really uh, perfect for um, introducing Behrouz's book because Essentially, the, the term that uh, Behrouz uses in Farsi for the what we call the kyriarchal system in English, I say we because we came to that conclusion together, we decided that that's the best translation, but he uses this term in Farsi called sistema hakem. Now, sistema hakem, uh, the word hakem uh, is, has, uh, Arabic roots um, and uh, it's used in Farsi. It's actually a transnational term. It's used in many different um, uh, Islamic um, societies. Um, and it means, it can be translated in numerous ways. Sovereign, it can be translated as, system uh, Hakim can be translated as sovereign system, controlling system, ruling system, governmental system, dominating system, oppressive system, um, uh, subjugating system, ruling system. So there are so many ways that this one term can be translated, but none of these actually capture, none of these terms uh, capture the essence of what Behrouz is saying when he talks about system hakem and the way he tries to frame it and the way he uh, explains it in the book, in, in particular, um, uh, the contexts, the different situations, the individuals, the lived experiences that he associates it with. Uh, I, I started translating it as oppressive system originally. And after about two chapters, maybe, I thought, no, I'm really uncomfortable with this. It's not right. And it, the reason is because what Behrouz is talking about when he uses this phrase is interlocking systems of oppression but not just of interlocking systems of oppression, but uh, domination and subjugation. It's a system that is designed and aims just to grind people down into submission. So its purpose 
and it's willing to even sacrifice its own benefits, its own purpose, its own um, uses or its own um, uh, possibilities. It's willing to sacrifice a lot of those if this ultimate aim of crushing people, grinding people down into submission is fulfilled. Uh, on top of that, it's a system that multiplies itself. Mm. So it um, not only within the place where it's working, but beyond itself as well. So its whole uh, initiatives, all its, its aim is to create more like it. So it's replication and multiplication. Mm. Um, so there, there are a whole range of different things that make it really unique, really um, idiosyncratic, I, I thought. Until I came, I, I, th I was thinking about a word to translate um, uh, system of Hakem. And I look back to some of my, my research in the past, uh, especially in the area of uh, critical religious studies. Um, and I came across the work of um, uh, Elizabeth Schuster Fiorenza. Mm. And I remember she uses this term, she actually coined a term called kairiarchy, mm. uh, which kairios uh, um, or kairios, it, it translates as um, lord or master. And she kind of brings this word together. Um, uh, it creates a new term, uh, kairiarchy, to explain systems of domination and control and subjugation uh, and inter intersecting forms of discrimination uh, that go beyond patriarchy. So for her, she wanted to critically reevaluate or, or, or ask us to rethink the notion of patriarchy uh, to include other things like uh, militarism, colonialism, um, different forms of discrimination like sexuality, race, mm. um, class. I mean, as I was reading the book, I was reminded of, um, as I so often am, of when Arendt is trying to describe where totalitarianism comes from. She says um, one of the elements is colonial practice. And in terms of Europe's history, it's what happened when colonialism boomeranged back. And when I was reading No Friend But The Mountain, I thought this shares a lot of her description of totalitarian systems. This shares a, a, a lot of, and part of that is the interlocking nature and the total domination. So it's not just, you know, you have to, you have to get in people's minds and that way you have to get them to reproduce the conditions of their, their own domination, which is, you know, as Primo Levi said of the, um, of the, of the camps, is you, know, you kill the man inside. Um, mm. But also the, the utter pointlessness, and I think a lot of those, a lot of us who've worked um, with migration systems, whether it be in the UK or in Australia, have said at numerous points that this makes no sense. <laughs> this, it's not a system that's working for itself. Uh, and then what really, uh, what you, the, the, the book and the idea of the hierarchical system brought home is it's not supposed to. It, it's, mm. it's actually not supposed to work. Um, yeah. it, it's supposed to keep on reproducing itself. And in the sense yeah. of um, the, the regime on manners, um, it's supposed to work to the point where you will voluntarily go back yourself or, or sort of reformant, but reformant made voluntary by this sort of um, system of total domination that makes it un unbearable mm. to do anything else. Yeah. They don't even yeah. do the instrumental thing that they're supposed to do yeah. because that's not what it's actually about. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not supposed to function in a way that's rational, that can be um, uh, justified. Uh, um, the only justification is really just to uh, force people to, um, to leave, to go mm -hmm. back to the place where they fled or to perish. It's yes. kind of like a, um, a moral and an explanatory quagmire. The more you try to explain it using reason, using um, uh, logic and analogies, using the data statistics 
the more confusing it, uh, it, the, the analysis becomes, the understanding becomes. And also, I think it's interesting that uh, not only does it become more confusing, but uh, the system constantly shifts. There's so much fluidity within it. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons why legal approaches haven't been as successful uh, as people expected, because laws change constantly. And laws are so open to interpretation and become so arbitrary. Uh, and I guess that also speaks to what you were saying about the fact that it's uh, it's not supposed to be a well-oiled machine. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be chaos. But also, that that's sort of why why I think your um, the kind of creative knowledge production approach is right. I mean, I, I'm trying to get you to say a bit more about that because there's a way in which you can't fight um, this discourse on its own terms because then you'll end up as mad <clears throat> as it's once you start buying into the logic then you're already kind of caught within a kind of rationality and instrumentalism, which is making no sense and you're not opposing. Whereas what, um, one of the very important things I think about the book and your work since is what happens if you put collaboration and translation at the heart of finding out, you know, of finding ways to, to challenge. Um, so that's one thing, but I was also um, reminded as you were talking, when you were talking about the, the law, I don't know if you saw um, the, the human rights lawyer, Itamar Mann, um, wrote a letter to um, the UN Chief Prosecutor um, of the UN mm -hmm. using the book, um, I mean, um, Itamar oh, Mann is a, okay. has worked on migration and refugees, to say, just as Primo Levis, if this was a man, was at one point going to be used as evidence in the Eichmann trial, there are lots of reasons why it wasn't used in the end. This book needs is evidence against the new normal of degradation and dehumanization on the borders. And what I loved about that move, and I would love it because I'm a literary scholar, but I would love it for other reasons, is what happens if we actually step outside that kind of, you know, the logic of reason, rationality and law defined by its own terms to challenge those through different forms of creative knowledge production that might actually mm -hmm. shift what we understand a crime to be, what we understand mm -hmm. injustice to be. Oh, there's so many points that you've highlighted. Uh, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Sorry, I won't have time to... <laughs> this, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think, uh, um, and I know Beth has been really thrilled um, by this conversation because this is exactly the response or the kinds of kind of response that he wanted for his mm. book. And uh, one of the things that he was, he was really, um, enthusiastic about was uh, to be to transform the concept the notion the the stereotypes associated with people who are experiencing displacement and exile and this breaking these uh, dichotomies or these um, uh, these binaries uh, associated with victus victim and savior mm. um, beneficiary and benefactor mm. um, recipient and supporter yeah. all these things that he he was always uncomfortable with and and he he believed that these particular kinds of um assumptions these uh, uh these reductions are also part of that same system yeah uh and in order to really trans transform in order to really uh, deconstruct the system in order to decolonize it's not just the material conditions that need to be addressed. It's also the, the symbolic and also the epistemic. Uh, mm. And I think that that's where the creative approach really uh, um, 
really hits home, really has its, makes its impact. It's transforming the social uh, uh, imaginary, that we could say the colonial imaginary. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you've pointed out that is another central theme along with hierarchy. It's, it's interdependent with, with the hierarchical system yeah. and that's the colonial logic. In, yeah. in, and how the detention centres in Australia are associated with Australia's colonial history. And yeah. I think um, look, thinking about border violence all over the world, we need to situate it within this framework, this historical framework, but also this ideological framework. Yeah. And of course, I mean, um, people don't like to hear this, but of course, for certain forms of historical humanitarianism were also part of the colonial project. So people are quite happy with the idea of, you know, the agentless refugee who needs help and is testifying to his bitter experience, because that mm -hmm. isn't actually a challenge to any kind of privilege or epistemology whatsoever. Um, which is why I think it's so interesting that the book is often, oh, it's that refugee testimony thing. That's why I always introduce it as a major work of political theory and a major literary work. Yeah. It's not, you know, like, you're not having that, you're not, you know, exactly. you're not having your passive refugee, actually, thank you. <laughs> like, um, um, I like what you said about um, defying genres or, or challenging genres, because uh, I also, uh, myself, in, in my reflections on, on the book and the translation process, I think about it as an anti-genre. Um, mm. It is um, political commentary. It is um, uh, fiction. It is non-fiction. It is journalism. It is, it's all these things. It's also myth and folklore and epic yeah. and uh, it's, uh, it's poetry at the same time. It's philosophical reflection. It's psychoanalytic examination. Mm. Um, so he, basically Behrouz is fusing all of these things together to really create something original, something new. But I think his, his purpose was for people to understand the soul of this system. And, yeah. and that soul of the system and, uh, and you know, what that means is quite complex and we can get into a discussion about that if there's time, but uh, mm. that's to understand not just the historical and transgenerational dimension to it, the colonial mm. dimensions to it, yeah. but also to understand the, the future of this, this book or the, the future of these crimes, which yeah. are represented in the book. So the, the soul of the system is something that, um, you know, it's interesting, he talks about the soul as actually being, uh, or the, the, the soul of the system as being conscious, as having agency. He, you know, this, this move, this literary move, this creative move, I think is, is really important because we start to think about the system as something that is, um, is planned, is designed. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily need one person or a group of people. It's actually um, part of the built environment, the natural environment. It's part of the um, social, political structures. It's part of culture. And it's part of history. Thank you, Amit. My pleasure. My, uh, thank you for having me.